Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Wylisa Wiggs-Harris, and she is the CEO of the American Health Information Management Association, where she's been the CEO since 2018. It's been a global organization, a leading health information management voice, um, and she's both turned around this organization and is leaning into strategic innovation growth. Prior to AHIMA, um, Wylisa was the CEO of several other their organization. So she's no stranger to being the top leader at an organization. She's also, she has her PhD in organizational development from Capella University, and she is a well-decorated leader being recognized um, as the most powerful woman in healthcare IT, as a top diversity um, leader in by modern healthcare. And Wailisa, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you, Lori, for having me. All right. Well, I'm excited about this conversation, and it's been fun to um, actually work a little bit together. We're working on the Healthcare Collaborative, um, which is, you know, with the Association Forum, and we've known each other since you took over the leadership role um, of AHIMA, and you've done great things with that organization. But, you know, as we get started, I always like to begin inspiring women with what are you doing right now? What does your day-to-day look like at the, as the CEO of AHIMA? That is such an interesting question. What does my day-to-day look like? Because every day is different. Right now, we're gearing up for our first face-to-face conference in two years, in October. And it's like, wow, do we even remember how to put a national conference on since we've been virtual? It's been a long time, right? It's been a long time. We've been virtual the past two years. So that is a big focus for us as we continue to look at how do we elevate our our, our advocacy work. I'm always looking at how do we continue to up our ante and our game around driving powerful content. We work with such wonderful members. How do we continue to support their developmental needs? So that's why I say every day is different. You wake up and you think you're going to be focused on one thing and you sit down in front of the computer and the day just takes you to focus on whatever you need to accomplish in that given day. Well, that's great. And I want to talk about AHIMA a little bit because, um, you know, for you, you're no stranger to being the CEO of um, various uh, organizations, nonprofit organizations. Um, this Is this your first global um, organization that you've been the leader of? It is, and it can be overwhelming at times because I would have never thought that I would be leading a global nonprofit organization. I would have never thought that I would have an opportunity to be visible on international platforms. And why do I say that? Because when I was in the Chicago area before working on my MBA, and I know that some of your listeners may have heard me tell this story before, 
the very act of raising my hand was difficult in classes because I was so shy and so introverted. And to now find myself in some of the places that I now find myself being able to give voice to the needs of others is overwhelming. It's um, gratifying and it is extraordinarily humbling. Well, it, it's, it's also something that you happen to be good at. And I say this because you are recognized for your leadership um, as being, um, you know, one of few of the top leaders in healthcare um, today. So let's talk a little bit about that journey. So, um, you know, as a, a shy, introverted, um, I'm assuming hard worker, uh, how did you ascend to being the CEO of not just today's organization, AHIMA, but, you know, several before that? I love the word journey. It truly was a journey. And I'm not gonna say that I was someone hanging out among other individuals, raising my hands, saying, look at me, I want to be a leader because I was not. I said yes when others said no. So when there were opportunities that were presented and there were new assignments, I just kept saying yes. And then one day I looked around the leadership table and said, there are not a lot of people who look like me. And at that point, there weren't people who looked like me from an ethnic perspective, a gender perspective, or even an age perspective. And I decided that I wanted to be someone who could help expand the table and who had an opportunity to sit at the table. And I'm very fortunate that I had wonderful mentors who saw the potential I had even before I saw my own potential and who helped open the doors for me. And I took some jacket pathways to sit in this seat today. I took many uh, lateral moves to enhance my skills and to enhance my confidence. But once I set my sight on being a nonprofit leader, I just kept navigating to this seat. So let's talk about some of those things. So, so I mean, the path to leadership for um, anyone is is varied. The path to leadership for women is harder, and the path to being a leader as a black woman, the bar is much harder. So, shy and introverted are not the types of skills or, or characteristics that you know are often associated with leadership. When you decided you wanted to expand the table, what were some of the things that you said yes to? that others might have said no. I had a wonderful mentor who knew that I wanted to be a nonprofit leader and he encouraged me to go into training. And I was like, what the heck? How is going into training and organizational development going to eventually help me become a CEO? One of the best things that someone could have recommended because it allowed me to find my voice and to find that I could be effective and get over that introversion and that shyness and not allow it to stand in the way of the things that I want to accomplish. You know, it takes all kinds to sit in a leadership role. There are those who are charismatic and more extroverted, and then those are those quiet leaders. And part of what we have to do is to learn how to lean into who we are and to really accentuate the positives and not let the things that could hold us back, hold us back. And I think that's really uh, even more important for those of us who are women leaders and for those of, of us who are 
uh, leaders of color. We have to clearly understand our value and what our strengths are. And we learn to navigate towards those strengths, again, to accentuate those positives and make sure that we are address addressing those things that could hold us back. And I did a lot of different things. I've worked with executive coaches and I'm a firm believer in leveraging executive coaches to help you grow. I learned the things that I'm really, really extraordinarily good at. For example, I'm a strong storyteller. And therefore, I learned how to take storytelling and incorporate it into my leadership style. I am naturally an empathetic leader. And I was an empathetic leader before it became popular to be an empathetic leader. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so again, understanding who you are, the strengths that you bring to the table, and never lose sight of where you want to go and what you want to accomplish is how I got here despite the hurdles of getting here. Well, empathetic leadership, you are right. It is It is a popular thing to be talking about now. And women happen to be quite excellent at it. And it's also viewed as one of the top skills that are needed to be a leader in this next, whatever the new normal means um, as we evolve from the current pandemic that we're still in. Can you talk a little bit about being a quiet leader? And because often women talk about confidence as one of those hurdles to being a leader and gaining confidence or whether it's imposter syndrome or however you want to describe it. But I like um, just the term quiet leader. How, how do you correlate that with confidence, either having it or leading in a different way? So Lori, I've had my share of challenges with imposter syndrome and believing that I was not good enough, that I didn't have the right skill sets or enough of the skill, the right skill sets. It's one of the reasons I kept doing lateral moves so I can get more skill sets. At some point, you have to understand and recognize you're good enough and that you truly have invested the time and the energy to develop the skills that are necessary for you to lead. And as we climb the leadership ladder, the skills that we need at the top are not the same skills that we need as we're climbing that ladder. And so one of the things I did was really, again, get great clarity on what are the skills I am going to need when I sit at the top of an organization. And I looked around at the leadership role models in my life. I, again, was fortunate to have a number of wonderful leadership role models. And I looked at what are the things that they do that I want to emulate when I have a chance to do so. I also looked at some of the negative role models in my life. What are the things that they're doing that I don't think are helpful? They're actually not helping us move forward. And I determined that those were not the things that I wanted to do. So I had two sets of of uh, mindsets. Here are the things that I want to make sure that I emulate and do and incorporate into my leadership style. And here are the things I want to make sure I never do and incorporate into my leadership style. And I don't even know that I could clearly articulate how I began to gain that confidence. Some of it is that I have, was blessed to have so many people who poured into me and poured into my life. And who helped me understand that failure 
is a stepping stone to success. You're not always going to get it right. But learn from whatever set of circumstances you find yourself in. And that's that confidence gain because the competence was always there. That commitment to hard work, that commitment to studying longer than other people and making sure that you know your stuff better than anyone else in the room. That was a given. But believing that you could sit at the table with others who had a different background and a different set of experiences and not undervaluing the experiences that you brought to the table represented growth for me. Well, I think it's so interesting to hear you just talk about, you know, how your uh, mindset and, and thoughtfulness that went into shaping your leadership journey. So you wanted to be a leader and then you thought about both the role models and skills and characteristics they had that you wanted to emulate. But um, I just find it interesting. You're also talking about the ones that you didn't want to emulate. And that became a thoughtful exercise and purposeful one um, for you as well. well. That's that's terrific. Maybe, um, you know, as a great storyteller, one of your superpowers. Um, can you give us one of the stories of just, you know, something that happened along the way, perhaps as on this jagged path um, to leadership, one of the obstacles that you overcame just to give a little bit more, um, you know, maybe personalization to some of the experiences you've encountered? Oh, wow. See, I didn't come prepared to tell stories. Oh, <laughs> I know I do have a million, million stories. So here's one. I actually shared this at a conference last week, and it's a story around valuing everyone in the room. So I had this, I was, this is when I was a junior staffer at an organization and my uh, immediate supervisor had asked me to schedule a meeting with an executive at a large medical company, medical technology company. And we get in the room and he takes over. Now I've done all of this legwork, but we get in the room, I dial the number and he takes over and he introduces himself to the gatekeeper who answers this particular individual's phone. The gatekeeper says, oh, I'm sorry, uh, XYZ is not available. And I then turn and say, hello, gatekeeper, it's Walisa. And I know that he's expecting our phone call. And she's <laughs> like, hi, Walisa. Yes, he is. And so, uh, you know, my boss is looking at me, but here's a lesson I learned early on. If you respect everyone in an organization, regardless of the position that they sit in. And I had gotten to know this individual's administrative assistant very, very well. And so we had this great ongoing relationship. And that's one of the things that I coach and counsel people on is make sure that you're valuing everyone in an organization, because it doesn't matter whether they are the ones keeping the floor clean or they're the CEO. They're still a human being. They still have... Um, families. They still have struggles in their lives and we should speak to them and we should value them regardless of where they sit within an organization. I love that story. It also speaks to there is power in 
every position um, that that exists and how people um, use that and how you know how to interact with it is um, exceptional. Love that story. Let's talk about um, let's talk about diversity. Di you know, in in addition to empathetic leadership being a really you know uh, hot topic, uh, DEI and bending the diversity curve. You know, particularly in the leadership of organizations, is um, something um, on every CEO's agenda. It seems these days closing the gaps that are out there that exist for women, that exist for people of color. Um, uh, I, those are. Uh, hot topics. Are we making progress? What are you seeing? I was thinking about this particular question this morning, and we're making progress. I don't believe we're making progress at the rate we need to be making progress. And if someone had asked me this question 20 or 30 years ago, whether or not in 20 um, 22, we would be facing some of the challenges that we are still facing, I would have said no. And, you know, it will, I don't have all of the answers about why we're not making accelerated progress in this area. But here are some thoughts that have been going through my mind. And it's from this perspective of belonging. I think we all want to belong and we all desire to be in community. Part of what we haven't figured out is how to have an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. That from an abundance mentality, the table is big enough to accommodate all of us. A scarcity mentality, we're worried that the table is not large enough to accommodate all of us, therefore we're gonna a pick and choose who gets a seat at the table. And so for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a journey. And just because I'm an individual of color doesn't mean that I get it right every single day. I have, I lose my way as well. And this perfect example is that when I first came to AHIMA, it was one of the things I was razor sharp focused on in part because I walked into that room my first day to meet with the leaders and I was the individual of color in the room. And so it was very much at the top of my radar. However, as other things began to consume my attention, I took my, took my focus off of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then one day I looked up and in the midst of the great resignation, I'm going, where did all my staff of color go? Because they've been picked off to go to other organizations. And I'm like, oh shoot, I'm starting all over again. And so lesson learned for me is that we have to be intentional about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. And it has to stay at our forefront constantly. And what gets measured gets done. So as we're preparing to start working on our next strategic plan, I've said to my VP of strategy, let's make sure that this is built into our plan. Not that we treat it as a sidebar activity over here. And I think it's really important that it has to be um, integrated into the fabric of an organization, including the metrics that we are looking at. 
Do you think other CEOs are doing the same in terms of the peers that you you have across um, other organizations? You know, I have been reading a lot of late about uh, you know beyond just all of the energy that has been around DEI that the work that is required it is falling largely to women it is falling largely to people of color and people are exhausted so there's not as much across the board buy-in at organizations to sustain what is the level of commitment that's required and i completely agree with you that measurement matters but what are you seeing with your peer ceos across other organizations in terms of that level of commitment it's a continuum there are some that have the same passion and the same level of commitment. There are some who are trying to figure out what does this mean? And there are some that are probably at the beginning of the continuum. And I think for all of us, navigating the past two years has been very tough as leaders and, and continues to be tough. And we're juggling many, many balls. And it, you know, I, I like to tell people, leaders are people too. We have our own issues, we have our own values and things that we're trying to navigate even as we're navigating these organizations. So I am hopeful that we'll see more towards the continuum of being passionate and making the necessary commitments to move diversity, equity and inclusion forward. I also recognize it's a journey and part of perhaps what we have to start doing more at the CEO level is holding one another accountable and having these conversations. Because I will tell you as a black woman, it is draining to always have these efforts led by women or led by um, individuals of color. And I had someone just reach out to me randomly last year who I had never met. She somehow came across my profile on LinkedIn and she had just been assigned the responsibility for diversity, equity, and inclusion within her organization. She had no concept of where to start. She had no money to support her initiative. And so if organizations are going to be serious about DEI for the long-term versus when something happens that pops up and people wanna rush and then give platitudes that they are unable to fulfill, then we have to look at how do we put the appropriate resources behind this work. And we have to make sure that this is the work of everyone and especially it's owned at the top of the organization, not, include, not only including CEOs, but boards of directors. And that's the conversation that we are beginning to have with our board and to help them understand the important role they should be playing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I think some of your advice in terms of, you know, first of all, you know, what what gets measured gets done and um, putting visibility on that and making that a pillar of your strategic plan, um, you know, certainly sound like uh, steps that can be replicated. Um, great advice for other organizations. Well, Lisa, as we think about, you know, the future and um, there's a lot to hopefully look forward to, how do you think about, you know, you've had such a incredible career journey. What do you look forward to as you think years out? What's um, what what's on your mind in terms of your professional journey? First and foremost, I want to leave Ahima stronger 
then uh, when I came at the helm and making sure that I'm preparing the next generation of leaders to move the work of AHIMA and AHIMA's members forward. So succession planning is on my mind right now because I, that's just critically important that I wanna make sure the work that I do is beyond me, the individual, and that the organization is still positioned for success. As I think about myself personally, I'm constantly challenging myself for what's next and what are the broader opportunities for me. So you know, Lori, that one of my personal goals is to eventually serve on a private or a public um, board of directors. And that's something I'm working on and taking that great advice that you gave me to be focused and be diligent about doing it. I'm also just thinking about who else? Uh, how do you, uh, beyond my own organization, how do I continue to support emerging leaders and help them grow and help them find their voice earlier than what it took for me to find my own voice. So those are some of the things I'm thinking about. I always find um, personal inspiration and just hearing, you know, from accomplished leaders like yourself that you're always learning and and even that though you're at the height of the profession, um, you're always striving for something more. It's just so um, encouraging to hear that doesn't matter how far you've come, there's always something further in terms of where you want to go. Well, at least as we close out on this conversation, I've really enjoyed it. Any last advice that you'd like to leave listeners with? I am here in part today because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I have opportunities that my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother mothers did not have. And so I believe strongly that we have an obligation to reach back and to pull people forward with us. And so I would leave your listeners with a couple of final thoughts. One, if someone has been helpful in your life, if someone has been an impactful mentor for you, never hesitate to go and say thank you to that individual. Because at, no matter where we are in life, we all need encouragement. We all need to know that we're valued. Second, as you continue to climb the ladder, always reach back and allow people to stand on your shoulders because you are where you are because you're standing on someone else's shoulders. Those are great pieces of advice and um, admirable in terms of things that you're doing. I really appreciate that. Well, Lisa, I have so enjoyed this conversation. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation. I have been speaking with Dr. Wylisa Wiggs-Harris and Wylisa, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.